You're listening to the Melting Pot Podcast from New York City, and I'm Henry Chalfan, the graffiti documentarian. The Melting Pot, a place for socially conscious voices, creating a more harmonious society, for education, for inspiration, for cultural exchange. Welcome to the next edition of Melting Pot Podcast. My name is Muhammad Ali, standing in for Manpreet Darach, who is usually your host. Um, I am here in the city of New York for a very special episode of the Melting Pot Podcast. You can hear more of these podcasts on our website at soulcityarts.com forward slash Melting Pot Podcast, where we interview people, people of, with different stories, people of, who, have, who have unique insights into the world of arts, activism. So here we are right now in New York City. Uh, we are in the district which is... It's Lower East Side. Lower East Side. And right here, here in the Lower East Side of New York City, which is where I am right now. And I am privileged to be here with Henry Chalfont, uh, a, a graffiti historian uh, who's based here in New York City. And he is known for his documentation of the graffiti movement from the 70s through to the 80s, right through till today. Um, and he was the man behind, he co-authored the book uh, Subway Arts alongside Martha Cooper. So here at, the, at this exhibition in New York, I'm at the City Law venue where the Moving Murals exhibition is on display, which features 825 subway trains that Henry had photographed over the past few decades. And I'm standing right here surrounded by literally swimming in subway trains painted from top to bottom. Literally, wherever I look, I see subway trains, colorful, vibrant subway trains, screaming out with these painted names and messages um, right across the trains, which Henry was world-renowned for documenting. And there's no doubt about it, myself as a visual artist, myself as a graffiti artist myself, there's no doubt about it, I would say, that Henry... Henry's dedication to documenting this movement, without his efforts and his dedication in his life, the world would be a very different place. So as a graffiti artist, I absolutely am totally excited to be here in this space. I'm absolutely delighted to be here, surrounded by the life work of Henry Chalfont and his photo documentation of these subway trains. So... Welcome, Henry Chalfan. Thank you for, for, for being here with me uh, and showing me around uh, New York City and, and, and hosting me to this exhibition. Thank you for joining. Well, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure. It's good to see you. So just for our listeners, uh, just to clarify, because you, yourself and myself, maybe we might be familiar with the graffiti subway scene that, that evolved and also the, uh, the removal of, of which you, know, you, you say about preserving these trains. Just for the sake of our listeners, can you just clarify um, that the, the idea that, that this, this whole the problem of uh, this conflict that occurred between the city authorities and them cleaning off the trains and how long the, these trains ran the, the, the train lines with this graffiti on them? Could you just climb it? <clears throat> um, it, it was a, a matter of chance. You know, if they, if they were, uh, there were periods of time in the 70s and then the 80s when they would have a, the city would have a campaign to repaint the trains and clean them 
then you you wouldn't your artwork would disappear uh, very quickly. And then when they when they finally by the early '80s they got um, the buff the cleaning um, machines in several different train yards. They got them up and running, um, and they routinely ran the trains through. Your your pieces wouldn't last very long. Now there are exceptions to this. Um, the John Lennon Beatles piece that was painted by Is the Wiz and Lady Pink and Mare in uh, the year that John Lennon was shot. I believe it was, I don't remember, but I think it was 82 or 83. Um, they painted the two-hole two -hole car train in honor of, of him and his life, and nobody touched it. That, that ran for years. Wow. That ran wow. for years. The Transit Authority, the workers, they wouldn't touch it. They had this much respect for John Lennon. So uh, <clears throat> that there's a there's a train by Lee which is here also, and it says uh, I see oh that it's with it with the Sherlock Holmes, mm -hmm. the one with Sherlock Holmes and, and a sort of Dick Tracy character on it, and a squirrel with a big gun, and um, it says stop real crime. It says Lee of course, but it says stop real crime. That ran forever. They didn't so, want to buff that. So that's interesting. So you're saying that the, the New York tr uh, train authorities, what, what did they the call them? Yeah. The workers. The workers. They, th they made the decisions that they weren't going to touch these cars which they respected. So there was this illegal graffiti, these colorful graffiti um, artworks on the sides of these subway carriages where the city authorities had a policy of removing this. Yes. But the actual workers that were, whose job it was to clean them, mm -hmm. They made exceptions in certain cases. They did, yeah. That's amazing. They had they had the power of discernment. They knew when something was was good according to their own idea as well as to graffiti writers' ideas. Amazing. Yeah. So you're saying the John Lennon one ran, and I, I think we're looking at years. it. I think we're looking at it right now. Yeah, there the one, it is. There it is. Just on, just on the wall, you see the words John Lennon on the side of a yeah. subway train. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and the other Lee. It's Lee. There's a squirrel with a gun, and there's a Dick Tracy yep. Sherlock Holmes character on it. And yeah, I know that's one. another one. Yeah, stop real, stop real crime. <clears throat> Can you tell me? You said you 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 got bored and you went out with your camera. Do you remember the kind of the, the defining moment where you picked up the camera? Is there a day that you remember that you said, "I'm going to do this"? Could you tell us about that 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 first time? Well, it 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 kind of builds up to a day. I did. I went. Um, I figured out that the trains ran outside, and that gave me the idea that oh, I could I could take pictures, because before I'd been in New York, I'd been in Manhattan, always underground, always underground. Um, by chance, I was I took uh, the one train up to the end of the line, um, and I noticed that it ran outside above uh, where 212th Street I think runs outside after that and. Um, so I went up with my camera and I got off the line and I went up to Baker Field which was Columbia University sports field and stood on the empty bleachers and uh, I could, had a view of the line. So, but I had a 50 millimeter lens and, and the pictures I took were very small, you know, because from that distance you would have needed to have a, you know, more a, a tele lens, which I didn't have. So um, the idea 
still was with me, I can take pictures from somewhere. And I started taking the train elsewhere, and I went to the Bronx on a weekend. It was, it was 1977 in the summer. And uh, I rode up on the line and got off at Intervale Avenue uh, because it was on a weekend, and I saw that in the center track, there are three tracks. There's an uptown and downtown, and then on the elevated, there's also a center track where you can park trains, and where trains can sometimes run express or sometimes run back when the other, if they're out of service or something like that. So they were parked, it was on a weekend, and <laughs> going uptown, we passed the, the uh, Lee, there it is right behind me. The Lee Mono Dock Merry Christmas train. Oh, yes. You see it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with the Santa Claus and the deer and the sleigh and everything. And, and it was there in between two stations. And I saw it and I thought, I've got to get that. And um, in the next station I got off. I got off the train and uh, I looked up. I saw no train coming, I looked down, I saw no train coming. I ran out on the trestle in, in between the two stations with my camera. And of course it was right very close to me, so I took, um, I think, 10 or 12 pictures um, in series, because I couldn't get back any further to, to get the whole car in one shot. So that was very important to me, because that informed my decision to always take pictures from the train stations because I could stand on one platform when the train stopped on the platform on the opposite side I could take the pictures in series like that with my Henry Chalfont never knows what he'll hear when he gets messages from his telephone answering machine Yo Henry this is last I bust out a rooftop on a six line bright colors last blockbuster is fresh done by Vice Boys you know the crew this is an ad, essentially. A graffiti writer lets Henry know that he's spray-painted up a New York City subway car. If it sounds like a graffiti masterpiece, one with time and effort behind it, not just some mindless name-scrawling, Henry goes after the shot. Putting spray paint on a subway car is illegal, and masterpieces do not light up the line for long. They'll be buffed off by the transit authority, or ragged, written over by other graffiti writers. So Henry must be ready to move quickly and be patient to find and photograph that one burner which brings temporary fame to the writer. So that lead train there was the first or one of the first that you took? That was, that was the first, except for the ones that, that I took from Bakersfield, which are too far away and you can't see anything. So that was the that first was one the first that you one. call, what would that you call it now? Now I'm sure it's called panoramic or something, but yeah, yeah, what, yeah, it used well, to, what it used to call it is a term? Henry style. <laughs> <laughs> so which is what everybody called it, you know, writers yeah. after. Um, when they saw what, what I had done, because everybody before then had done, you know, from the station kind of at an angle and getting the train in that angle with a, with a little, you know, 110 camera. That was sort of the way people did it. So I was the first one to do it in this panoramic style. Uh, Fantastic. And montage. So this is montage of, of yeah. these wide panoramic yeah. shots that you tile together. Yeah. Other artists known it started to imitate yeah. that style of yeah. documentation, yeah. and it was known as Henry style yeah. mm -hmm. by the kids. Yes, amazing. Yeah. How does it feel? Um, I mean, I myself, I consider you someone who is 
a uh, a scholar of, of, of this whole genre, this movement, um, someone who is without your efforts, graffiti would not exist as it is today. How do you feel when you see this graffiti worldwide? You've traveled now. Do you believe that without your photo documentation that that um, and I know you you may be modest about it, but being honest, without your documentation in a time when there was no internet or anything like that, your photo documentation would the world would things be different? Yeah, if we hadn't taken pictures, and I say we because Martha and I uh, pretty much made the most influential book, uh, Subway Art, which. I've heard over and over again, and I think it's probably true that that was the book that that uh, inspired people to paint and gave them an idea of how and gave them an idea of the culture that was behind it. And I think without that um, instruction manual, that uh, people would have, you know, tried it. They would have seen it. They wouldn't have known so deeply what it was about. You know, they may have seen pictures of it. I think, you know, even before our book came out, there were plenty of pictures floating around in magazine articles and things like that. But um, <clears throat> I've heard over and over again that kids, the first, their first exposure to it was, was our book. And so, yeah, I think it had a big influence. How does that make you feel when you... I feel good, basically. I feel very good about it. it um, I, think, I think of it, and I always did think of it, as a positive, creative act um, performed by people who did not otherwise have a voice, who didn't have access to official channels to speak, you know, who didn't have, you know, opportunities to, you know, show their work in galleries or anything like that. They didn't have this kind of access. Um, and clearly, you know, in, in large, you know, populated cities and anonymity is the is the experience of most um, there is a desire to to identify yourself as somebody as part of the world part of the population and to and to show off show something of yourself there is a strong impetus to do that and to overcome the anonymity of these great cities and uh, you know in, in the case of New York, and I think this is probably true of many cities, um, the people who began to paint were not entirely, but for the most part, marginalized already. Um, you know, the, the state of the city of New York in the 70s was appalling. You know, it was, uh, it was the, the, the uh, abandoned infrastructure, the houses burning down. Um, the transit system was a wreck, and uh, it was the result of, you know, political decisions made, deferred maintenance, so that they wouldn't have to face the prospect of figuring out how to pay for things, um, brought the city to its knees, and this affected the education system, which was once the finest in the world, uh, to the point where it was a, also a disaster. And uh, these kids were left more or less to their own devices. You know, there was, in some sense, a great freedom because 
the city services, which had provided after-school programs and things like that, did no longer do that. And so you had a lot of kids just running, kind of running wild in the streets. And that had, you know, we don't, we don't want that for our own children, you know. We want to have um, schools and social institutions which work in positive ways for them. But in this instance, um, it had a very positive effect that the kids responded in this very creative way to, to the basic abandonment of their environment. And uh, I think that's a very exciting thing. And I think that that struck a chord in other cities around the world where people, yeah, <laughs> saw, saw in that this is, this is a way for me to make my mark. This is a way for me to um, achieve something. And, and so they did. And they so you had seen the dangers of, of what these kids mm-hmm. would get into and... Yeah, yeah. And, and frankly, I would have been pretty upset if my children had gotten into it deeply. So you yourself, when you would go into these train yards, I take it that's, that's what you did. You followed these kids into train yards where trains were stored overnight. Um, is that, is Once that right? or twice I did that. Yeah. Um, mostly I stayed on the platforms and I took yeah. pictures. But, a few but times, I did go yeah. a few times. I knew I crawled under live trains with them, rows of live trains, you know, and then with the, with the electric uh, feet that had, with one in the third rail and the other one, the other three were still live. So if you touch that as well as the third rail, you could electrocute yourself. And these trains were, you know, alive and, you know, you feared that they could be moved and that kind of thing. And we crawled under six rows of trains to get to the center where, you know, it was quiet and you could paint. Um, we, one time we crawled through a hole in the fence that at New Lots train yard to paint this train and the workers came running at us with pipes so we had to run out so there was that was a danger you know there were all these dangers and I knew by then that um, a number of kids had been killed hit by trains in the tunnel and uh, a couple of them had been electrocuted and uh, one kid I knew had his throat slashed by a by a, you know another another boy who was a you know gang kid. Um, I knew people carried guns. Um, it was it was dangerous, and I know that had my children participated in that, I would have worried myself sick every night that they were going to get back safely. Things are very different today with graffiti. If we fast forward to today. Now graffiti has spread, a global phenomena in all these major cities. Yeah. Things are very different. Gangs, not so much about the gangs. You find kids from all kinds of different backgrounds now, social class, mm-hmm. etc. And in fact, it's now gone onto walls around the city as opposed to. Would you say? Yeah. Would you, would you <clears throat> well, just, yeah. I would. I would say that you know, walls. Yes, are being done. In fact, the. The second book that I did was a, a result of getting getting mail from around the world, um, showing me what they were doing in these other cities, and in many cases they were walls. But um, the train thing really took took hold in, in certainly in European cities. I mean, the trains in London were done, uh, were painted. The trains in Paris are still being painted. The trains in Italy are still being painted. Um, I think Germany. 
the former Yugoslavia. Um, it's quite pervasive all around Europe that they're painting trains. So it seems that within this scene, that really that the, the, the kind of <coughs> romantic type of association of painting a train um, is something that is still prevalent and everyone, uh, many of the graffiti artists still kind of love to, to paint a train as opposed to yeah. a brick wall? Yeah, they would. In fact, there are a handful of people who travel to New York to paint a New York train because that's, that's, like, that's like bagging the big game, you know. Do you remember a, a moment where you saw the kids who painted this when the train runs past and they saw the, the train for the first moment? What kind of... How do, how do they respond? <laughs> they yell and scream. And <laughs> jump up and down. <laughs> I mean, often, often they they also would see it in a group where um, they're with other people, other kids, maybe rivals, maybe even enemies, and something would come through, and uh, people might criticize it. To their shame, you know, if they if they didn't think it measured up, they would they would, you know, criticize it right to the person who had painted it, and laugh at him and jeer at him. You know that also that also goes as part of it, which is to me part of the great beauty of this art form is that is that you expose yourself like that just one chance to do it. You can't, you know, crinkle it up and throw it away if you don't like it. You're out there, you've got to put it up, and what you put up is going to run. And that gives it the, it's kind of like a performance piece in that sense. We were talking about that last night. I mean, it, it gives it an extra edge. But very different to a canvas that might be hung in a gallery because you have a chance to refine it before it goes yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. And you could apply the same to a mural that's painted as well, or a piece of graffiti on a wall as opposed to a steel. Onto yeah, a train. I think if you if you're doing a, a legal wall, for instance, mm-hmm. you you do have time to erase and, and recreate yeah. as you go along, which I, I think you don't have time when you're painting a train. So the idea of the, yeah. doing something in a quick, for that moment, they're feeling yeah. very quick, yeah, fast. Yeah. That added pressure is something which uh-huh. is a part of it. Yeah. One of my final questions. Um, you, you looking, I mean, I'm, not, I'm sure you've had time to kind of look and absorb uh, this, but I, I'd ask you to just look around you and you have almost your entire photo collection of these trains that you've documented. Um, if I was to ask you what you feel by when you, when you look and contemplate of all these trains that are plastered on the walls around you. How do you feel? Um, <clears throat> well, I think uh, to some degree this represents my own resolution of, of adolescent feelings that had perhaps remained unaddressed. And I think that uh, finally, by doing this, I put that to rest. Um, I'm grateful to the artists who did this. You know, without them, I never would have had this experience. 
still interests me to put up the this wall of pictures. I've gotten pretty tired of just showing, you know, 20 pieces like that, you know, in a kind of museum or, or gallery setting. Um, that has very, holds little interest for me. But I like blasting it up like that with everything. Because it gives you an idea of, of the kind of crazy uh, profusion of the art that took place back then. And I like to express that. And of course, each time I do this, and this is number three, this is number two, um, it's different. The venue is different. It looks, it, it, it's a new experience each time. So I don't mind at all putting up these shows. I rather like it. Henry, thank you. It's been a pleasure to have you on the Melting Pot podcast here. Um, you are truly a scholar that has influenced many a, a young urban artist from around the world. Um, it's exciting to be here in this exhibition um, of your life's work plastered upon the walls. Um, we hope that your journey uh, hasn't come to an end. Uh, but rather it's the beginning for you as a sculptor, as an artist, and as, as, and as a scholar. So thank you for your time. I'm grateful to you for having me on the show. Um, it's, it's a pleasure. The Melting Pot, a place for socially conscious voices.